We're going to be continuing in our lesson in Joseph, or lesson series in Joseph here today. So let's go to God in prayer before we open up our time together. Our God and our Father, we're grateful to you today for uh, the day that we've been granted. We pray that we've used the day so far for your glory and for your honor, and that as we gather in this place, that what we do today is a pleasing in your sight. We pray for your blessing on our time together as we strive to learn more about you, about your character, about your nature, and about how you would have us to live in this world. We pray that the obstacles that lie before us over the next few moments would be lifted, that you would overcome them, that we would be still, that our minds would be prepared, that our hearts would be soft, that we would be aware of the way your spirit moves within us, that we would be transformed into your likeness, that we would hear the things that you've asked us to hear. Um, But beyond that, Father, we pray that as we leave this place, that we will be people who live by your Spirit, who seek your guidance, your your dwelling, that we will be in tune with your voice and be able to hear the way you guide and lead and push. I pray that we would be a people of courage and a people of boldness as we live in a dark world who so desperately needs the light of your gospel, the good news about your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, Joseph. Uh, Man, what a guy, what a character, right? We've talked about the first couple of stages of his life, and it brings us right up to the the point where he is sold into Egyptian slavery, right? Where we've been so far, Joseph was uh, a young boy, uh, a dreamer, a, a prized son of his father, Jacob, renamed Israel by God. Um, he was shown favor by, God, or by, by his father, which put him in not so good standing with his brothers. And one day while Joseph is out in the fields, his brothers decide they're going to get rid of Joseph. Um, and they're going to put him in a cistern while they decide what to do with him. They end up, instead of killing him, they end up selling him to a band of Ishmaelites, who in turn take him on into Egypt and sell him to a man named Potiphar. And as we've gone through this series in the life of the story of Joseph, we've looked at um, the different ways in which God has used these not so or less than desirable circumstances to bring about God's plan for Joseph's life. Um, Over and over again, we see God working in these ways. Uh, In fact, you can probably look back at your own life and you can see how God frequently works in some of the most, not only unlikely of ways, but most undesired of ways. Like, I've looked back and, and, and asked God sometimes, surely there was an easier way for me to understand what you needed me to know than for me to go through what I went through. Um, maybe there was. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe uh, the, the truth is simply that God was using a circumstance in my life that I had created to teach me a lesson that I needed to learn. Right? I think there are many ways in which Joseph could have come to a place where his dreams could have been fulfilled about being a ruler in Egypt, about being in a position of authority and power to redeem the people of Israel through famine. Um, but Joseph makes some choices in life that bring him down this path. And even though this path seems unlikely, what we are going to find is that over and over again, even though Joseph may be making it more difficult than it has to be, God remains true to his promise, true to what he told Joseph would occur, and that he would be one day in a position of power where even his family 
and his father and mother would come and bow down to him. So let's open up uh, Genesis chapter 39 and let's read this next uh, section of the life of Joseph. It begins in Potiphar's house. Um, Look at uh, verse 4, we'll begin there. It says, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority, and he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. All right, so here's Joseph, right? I mean, he's been sold into slavery. And look, if you're going to be sold into slavery, this is the kind of slavery, the the best possible scenario that he could have wound up in. He wound up in the house of Potiphar, a man who is well-established in Egypt, and he is entrusted with everything that he owns. And and, and the unique thing about this is, is God continues to bless not only Joseph, but he blesses Joseph's master. Because of Joseph's presence in his house, Potiphar begins to prosper. God is a blessing. Joseph is a blessing to to the master that he serves. And we'll find later on in life, he'll even be a blessing, a great blessing to the Egyptian people because of his faithful service to God. So Joseph remains faithful in in a time in his life where he could have thrown in the towel. He he could have just completely given up and said, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm done with this. I'm just going to save my own skin and do what is best for me. He didn't. He did what he knew was right. He, he knew that God had called him to a different life, a different level of commitment. And so he continues to be faithful to a God that he knows some way, somehow is present with him. And because of his faithfulness, Joseph becomes a blessing to all of the people that he comes into contact with. He becomes a blessing, blessing to his cellmates in prison. He becomes a blessing to his guards in prison. He becomes a blessing to the Pharaoh when he finally gets to that place. And ultimately, he becomes a great blessing even to the men who had left him to die in a pit and had threatened to kill him, his brothers. But it is his faithful service to God that continues to put him in a place where he is able to be a blessing to people. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with Joseph, and here's the problem with you and I today, and that is simply this. Faithful service inevitably leads to temptation. If you are going to live a life that is faithful, just like Joseph did, sure, blessings are going to come. Things are going to be good for you at times. But also what happens when you begin to live a life of faithful service to God is there is someone else who takes notice of the work that you are doing and says this can't continue particularly when your faithful service to God is leading to results, leading to people coming to know who Jesus is, leading to an advancement of the kingdom and the community, leading to a growth of spiritual maturity and godliness and Christian living amongst his people. You see, when we begin to live faithfully, Satan comes in and says, I've got to put a stop to this because as long as you are living impotent lives for Christ, he doesn't care. And he's going to leave you alone. Because impotent Christianity is not Christianity at all. But the moment we begin to live 
faithfully, Satan comes along and brings us temptation to lead us down a different path. But here's the thing that we often forget. You are an overcomer because of Christ Jesus. The things, the obstacles, the obstacles, all of the things that stand in your way have already been conquered. And when we place ourselves, when we give our lives over to Christ, when we are clothed in Jesus, we are overcomers. And, and frequently, I think we live lives of just simply thinking we are worthless. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve that. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not good enough for that. We downplay what God is doing and has done in our lives. And and we forget the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within us. The Spirit of the God who spoke everything that we see into into, into being lives in you, works in you, takes residence in you, Christian, and is begging to be released into the world. You are an overcomer. Temptation comes to Joseph as well. In verse 7, after some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and she said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me, uh, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He's withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Not sin against Potiphar. He says, how can I do such an evil thing and sin against my God? I will not do what you're asking me to do. And a little bit of it has to do with who your husband is, but every bit of it has to do with who my God is. I can't do this and sin against my God. Although although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. And now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. And she grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment behind her um, in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called the household servants. Look, she said, uh, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. And when he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and he ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home, and then she told him the same story. This Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me, but when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When Potiphar heard this story, his wife had told him, These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. And so Joseph was there in prison. It's one more thing for Joseph. All right, in the first part of Joseph's life, Joseph finds himself in a difficult situation, largely because of some choices he made that exacerbated what was already going on in his life. Here we find Joseph in a little different circumstance. Joseph is now in a difficult situation because he has chosen to live faithfully to God. 
Uh, it is no longer a consequence of his poor decision. It is actually a consequence of his good decision that lands him in prison. And we think, this isn't right. I mean, how can this be? It's not supposed to happen this way. And Joseph is likely thinking the same thing. All right, what else, God? All right, so I learned from my mistakes before, and now I've done the right thing, and I've stayed humble, and I've stayed in my place, but here I am yet again in an undesired situation. But he remains faithful. You know, throughout all of the different ways in which trial comes to Joseph, his faithfulness remains true. And I tell you, one of the things we see in this situation is how important it is for you and I, as representatives of God and Christ Jesus, to withstand temptation. Right? Because of Joseph's honor, because of his integrity, because of his conviction, because of his ability to to not give in to what Satan had laid before him, he is going to find himself in a position, even in prison, to do God's work. And, and here's the thing with Satan, right? Nothing is ever good enough. Like when, when, you're, when things are going along and things are going well, Satan's going to come along and he's going to throw a wrench in God's plans and your plans and your life. And one of the ways in which he does this is he deceives you into thinking that you don't have joy. Like God has given us all kinds of things to live with, even when life isn't perfect, even when life is in shambles, there is still a kind of joy that we have in Jesus that he causes us to forget. And we become so focused on what we have not that we forget what we have as people of God. We forget that we are people of joy. We forget that we are people of peace. We forget that we are people of power. And we become so deadpan-focused on the trial that we forget who God is and how much He has given us to live for. And He's a master at doing just that. He used the same temptation strategies with Jesus that He does with us he does the same with Joseph. You see, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And not just barely getting by life, but you, that you may have it abundantly, overflowingly, that you may have it to the full. Don't surrender to the one who has come to destroy everything that I have built up within you. It is so important for us to resist temptation when it comes our way. See, Satan wants to entice us to turn away from that life and to live in bondage to him. He has us believe that if we leave Christ and come to him that we will be free when in reality we are turning over life of freedom to live in bondage to sin. And it is enticing. We know it's true. We know that it is enticing because we've experienced it. In fact, um, the word that is used frequently Um, particularly in James chapter 1, 14 and 15, says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed 
by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Right? The phrase, the term that is used is the same word that is used in fishing. And I don't know how many of you are fishermen. You know, but when we fish, we, lose, we use these little, uh, maybe you use live bait. A lot of people use live bait. But a lot of times we use plastic bait, lures, have all kinds of nice, pretty colors. In fact, we've, I was playing golf. Uh, Dane and I were playing golf with Jason and Lisa on Friday. And as we're on the, uh, a tee, not the tee box, on the, on the driving range, we're hitting a few balls before we get started. There's this guy standing behind me, and he's wearing this bright green shirt khaki shorts, and bright green socks. And somebody walked up and said, man, nobody's going to miss you on the golf course today. And he said, yeah, man, I dressed like a spinnerbait today. You know what a spinnerbait does? When the water hits it, that little thing turns around in a circle and it just flashes off light everywhere because it's enticing. They're made of all kinds of of, of colors. They've got little glitter in some of the the plastic worms that come around. And, And they look good. But what you can't see is that hook, that hook with the barb on it, that as soon as that fish comes and hits the lure, it's hooked. And and now, once that fish is hooked, it's going wherever the guy that holds the pole wants it to go. uses that same terminology when it comes to temptation. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's that desire that brings us in. Man, when Satan comes and sets that hook, he can take us wherever we want to go if we're going to take the bait. But we've got to resist temptation. You see, the other thing Satan wants you to believe about your sin is that when you, when you sin, when you fall short, when you step out of God's will, he wants you to believe that you are all alone. That you have isolated yourself not only from God's people but from God himself. And he says, God doesn't want you. Why would God want you when you've just intentionally chosen to do something you knew was against his will? And if God doesn't want you, those people that you call family, they really don't want you. You can't go tell them what's going on. You can't go tell them you're struggling. You realize what kind of a fool you're going to look like if you go to to all of those good, upright, upstanding, holy Christian people and tell them you're struggling with sin? You can't do that. You think you're alone now, you go tell them you're flawed. Then you're going to be so alone, you won't even know where to go to get to the next body of people. Just deal with it yourself. That's just not true. It's not true in either circumstance. Because while we certainly have a body of people, a family who loves and cares for us, even when we are flawed, The truth is that even when humans fail us and leave us, God never fails. He is always faithful. He is always present. But Satan is a master at convincing us that we are alone. So a couple of things here really quickly about temptation to, be in mind, to have in mind as we live life that is opposed to temptation. The first one is this, temptation, temptation is dangerous when you think you can't fall. Right? The proverb says what? Pride comes before a fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. And I want to tell you something, it's that moment 
where I feel invincible that terrifies me the most. Because that is when we find ourselves to be most vulnerable. We have a tendency to put our guards down. To stop looking for the different ways which Satan is working to entice us away from the will of God. Because we think that we're doing pretty good. We're on the right trajectory. We're on the right path. And everything is just going just like it's planned. It scares me. It scares me personally. It scares me in the church. Because I know Satan's coming for us when we're doing things well. The question is just going to be, are we going to be ready for the attack? Are we going to be prepared to resist when Satan comes our way? To resist and to charge forward. Not to resist and to cower and retreat. That's, that's true in so many aspects of our lives too, isn't it? I don't remember if we were advised to do this or if it's something that just kind of happened by chance for a while that we've kind of kept up. But Heather and I decided that we would go to some kind of a marriage retreat or counseling or seminar um, at least every other year if not every year, and we've been to a whole bunch. And, and somebody asked me one time, they said, you know, it's like, somebody asked, are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah, we're good. I was like, why do you, why do you keep going to these kind of things? Is it, is it really helpful? It's like, I don't know if it's really helpful or not. In fact, most of them say the same thing over and over again. I've heard it all. I could give the seminar if I wanted to. I said, but the truth is this, if I believe that it can't happen to me, I am most vulnerable for it happening to me. Nobody I've ever known started an affair one day by saying, you know what, I'm going to get up today, I'm going to go have an affair. No one started a life of sin in any way and said, you know what, I think today I'm going to go get addicted to drugs. Today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go abuse God's will at every turn. See, it just doesn't happen that way. But when we get to a point where we believe that we are strong enough, we are mature enough, that we don't really need help, that we've got it figured out, and Satan maybe has us right where we want it. And the other thing about temptation is this. Temptation doesn't just seek to get you a little bit off path. Satan seeks complete occupation of your life. Just like Christ, he doesn't just want a piece of you. He wants your whole soul. And when Satan gets a little hook in you, he will seek to consume and destroy every ounce of Christianity, of God-likeness that lives within you. And brothers and sisters, we can't give him a hold in our life anywhere. Because Satan lives by the reality that we see in the world out there. If you give him an inch, he will take a thousand miles. He will take it all. He will consume and devour. We will not give in to temptation. We started this uh, lesson here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and this is, I, I, want you to, I want you to look at this, okay? 
I want you to internalize this right here. God doesn't find a way out. Right? God doesn't operate in this way. And he says, well, if you run into trouble, give me a holler and we'll go looking and we'll see if we can find a way. No, he makes a way out. Right? It, it, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that he will make, he will provide, he will fabricate a way for you to get out of any temptation that you are in. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, and better yet, he will provide an opportunity for you to overcome because in Christ you are a what? An overcomer. What are you? You are an overcomer. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you believe you are an overcomer. In Christ, you are an overcomer. Look at what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 12. So whoever thinks he must stand must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation he will provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. But that ought to bring you so much comfort because it reminds you of one thing. You are an overcomer. That there is nothing Satan can put in your way that you have not already been granted the ability to conquer. Satan's going to put all kinds of things in your path, all kinds of struggles. Many things that you may think may be unbearable. And I'll tell you this, alone a lot of them are. Alone a lot of the things that we endure in life is unbearable. You can't do it on your own and you're not asked to do it on your own. You see, this Christian walk that we have chosen to live has never been intended to be a solo journey. It's why the church is so vitally important to the success of our souls. Because you can't live in relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't have a relationship with his kingdom, with his people, with his body. You are victorious. You are an overcomer. And he says, I've already provided you a way to overcome anything that Satan throws in your path. Take it. Be my people. Refuse, resist, withstand what the devil will throw at your path. And just like Joseph, be faithful to a God that is eternally faithful to you. And if you are faithful to God, if I am faithful to God, I'll take what comes my way. Especially if it's a result of my faithfulness. Even if it means hardship, because I remember one thing. I am an overcomer.